Right, welcome to Grace Church. Those of you that are here live and in person, welcome to those of you who are watching online. Uh, this is our third Sunday of uh, opening church back up, slowly regathering. And uh, last Sunday was a great day. You know, the feedback from um, actually this series that we've been in, I want to believe, but has been really positive. Um, last night, uh, uh, you know, we had some encouraging conversations with people. And uh, people are being blessed and encouraged by the messages, by the music, and by the effort that's being put in to regather and to continue to put our services online. So once again, I want to welcome you, I want to thank you for being here with us. Um, last Sunday, we had right at 100 people in attendance for both services. So at our 9 o'clock service, our 1030 service, and then we had over um, 454 views online. So People are still connecting, people are still tuning in, and so we're excited about that. Even though it's an awkward time for all of us, and, and we want more connection, we want to be able to uh, connect a lot more, I just want to encourage you that it is happening, and people are being um, connected with. Uh, once again, we're slowly reopening church, and we are fully realizing that we have like a new online audience that uh, we've never had before. So we're going to continue to put a lot of effort into reaching out to those of you who are tuning in online. And, uh, you know, we've, we've also been talking about, as a church, throughout this series, we've been talking about not being afraid of conversations, hard conversations here at Grace Church. We don't want to be afraid to talk about the hard topics of our day, you know, the hot topics of our day. And I think we're beginning to eliminate the stigma or the lie that broken people are not allowed in church. We want to eliminate that, okay? Because the fact is, is we are all imperfect people. We're all broken people. Um, here at Grace, we desire to be a place where you can deal with your brokenness and you can learn to walk in victory over your brokenness. And over the last two weeks, we've, we've seen a lot of new faces um, here at Grace Church. We've seen a lot of new people connecting online. Um, I want you to know that people have made decisions to follow Jesus um, over the last two weeks, which is super exciting. And uh, um, some people have made decisions to be baptized as well. So God is still moving. God is still working. God is doing great things. He's healing. He's redeeming people. And it's amazing to witness, honestly. And it's amazing to be a part of. Today is the final part of our series called I Want to Believe. but And today we're talking about those who would say, I want to believe, but I don't want to follow a bunch of rules. I want to believe, but I want to do whatever I want. I want to believe, but I don't want to submit to anyone. I want to do what I want to do. I want to believe, but I'm free to do whatever I please, whatever I want to do. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to have the verses on the screen as well. And I want you to know, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible free of charge of your own, um, so you can have one of your own. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm actually going to read the whole chapter this morning. And then we're going to make some applications for our present day. And so we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so I'm going to try to move as quickly as I can. And uh, let me give you a little context about Corinthians before we dive in. Uh, the city of Corinth was just like a lot of cities in our present day today. The city of Corinth was very broken. There was massive substance abuse. 
uh, broken relationships were everywhere. There was sexual perversion all over the place. Um, the city of, of, of Corinth was rampant and very corrupt with all kinds of evil and brokenness. Uh, there was a lot of division. Uh, people were just disagreeing and arguing and fighting. and it was, it, was a, it was a messed up city. The problem was the church in Corinth was just as broken. Okay? You couldn't tell a difference. When you looked at the church in Corinth, you couldn't tell a difference between the church and the city in which it lived and, and the city in which it resided. You couldn't tell a difference between the brokenness of the city and the brokenness of the church. When you looked inside the church, it was just as broken, if not more so, than the city. There was massive substance abuse inside the church, broken relationships, sexual perversion inside the church. There was corruption inside the church. There was a lot of division, infighting inside the church. And so Paul wrote this letter called First and Second Corinthians. He wrote this letter to the church in the city of Corinth to try to help them get back on the right path. To say, hey, the, the, the direction that you're going is not the right direction. Let's get back on the right path and, and let's do this for the sake of our city. Let's do this to honor God. Let's love God. Let's love people well. And so this is why he wrote Corinth. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth to try to get them back on the right path. And we're going to begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And it says, now regarding your questions about wearing masks and kneeling during the national anthem. No, I'm just messing. (laughs) It doesn't say that. But the reality is, I want you to know, there is no new thing under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. There were political tensions in the city of Corinth just like there's political tensions in our present day. Nothing has changed. There's no new thing under the sun. The same political tension that we feel in our world today has been felt long before our generation. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we're dealing with some of the things that we're dealing with in our day and age. Paul says, now regarding your questions about food that has been offered to idols. Okay, so this was the issue of their day. We have different issues in our day. But in Paul's day, he was dealing with food that had been offered to idols. He goes on to say, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. So even, they didn't have social media in this day, but everybody was right in this day. (laughs) On social media in our day and age, there's nobody wrong. Everybody's right. We all have knowledge on every issue. We're all the experts Same thing in the city of Corinth. He goes on to say, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God and there is only one God. Verse 5. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. 
Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real, so when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences, okay, so our conscience is going to be very important in our conversation today, in our our discussion today. Their weak consciences are violated. Look at verse 8. It's true that we cannot win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. Verse 9. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So what if I so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I do not want to cause another believer to stumble. Ah. So here's the issue. When you become a Christian, when you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, God does not immediately take you out of this world. It's not like, zip, you know, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm making the decision. Poof, oh, I'm in heaven. This is awesome, you know. That doesn't happen. Christians exist in a wider, much larger culture than the church that they participate in. So you participate in Grace Church, but you live in a much wider culture. You live in a bigger world than just Grace Church. We are are called by God to go and make disciples of Jesus in the culture in which we live. And in our day, this brings up some some very difficult issues, okay? Um, In our day and age, especially in the culture that we live in, all kinds of questions can come up for what's allowed for Christians, what's not allowed. Um, How are we supposed to behave? What what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? And, And the questions can just swirl and be a bunch, a bunch of questions. You know, we can have questions like, uh, are Christians allowed to get a tattoo? You know, are Christians allowed to drink alcohol? Um, can a Christian listen to anything other than K-Love radio? Is that allowed? Um, is a Christian allowed to get a piercing? You know, there's, there's a lot of cultural things that happen. What's allowed, what isn't allowed? You see, as, as Christians, we live in a larger culture, and, and the question is, is what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior for a Christian? What's allowed and what is not allowed? So in Paul's day, the issue was meat that was offered to false idols. And in his day, meat was a delicacy. And it was generally used in pagan worship, uh, pagan religious practice, and they would, what they would do is they would slaughter an animal to some false god in a worship to a false god, to an idol, a false religion. And then they would have a huge barbecue and everyone would eat meat in the pagan worship ceremony. And this was done in worship to a false god. And some of these people um, that were practicing this false religion, they became Christians. And now they were conflicted, Okay. They were practicing one thing, they were doing one thing, and now they put their faith in Jesus Christ, 
And now they're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's allowed, what isn't. So they began to ask the question, can we eat meat if it's been offered to idols? And some Christians were saying, no, you can't eat meat. It's demon meat, okay? You can't eat meat if it's been offered to idols. You can't do that because it's wrong. And other Christians were saying, yes, you can eat meat. There's nothing wrong. There's no such thing as demon meat, okay? Why do you think God made cows out of steak? You know, they're having this debate back and forth. So round and round they would go, and it was causing a lot of division and causing a lot of turmoil. So there's this big debate going on in the church. Can we eat meat? Can we not eat meat? They were divided over this issue of meat. And Paul answers them. He answers them. I love this. Before we jump into Paul's answers, I know you're on the edge of your seat. You're like, well, I want to know the answer. All right, but before we dive in, I just want to give us all a reminder. In John chapter 17, Jesus actually prayed for you. I don't know if you know this or not. Jesus prayed for you and he prayed for me. In John chapter 17, he prayed that all of his followers would, would, uh, would do a couple things because he knew that you and I were going to face difficult situations. He knew we were going to face what we're facing in this day. So he prayed for all of his followers, knowing that difficult issues were going to come up. And in John 17 and verse 15, Jesus prayed to his father. He said, I'm not asking you to take them. Okay, that's us. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out. I don't want you to zap them out of this world as soon as they decide to follow me. I want you to leave them here. But I'm asking that you would make them safe, keep them safe from the evil one. You see, many Christians usually make one of two wrong decisions. They take one of two wrong paths. One path is a lot of Christians, they'll try to live in a bubble. They, they won't get cable TV, you know, they, they won't go to movies, they won't uh, even engage with the, the, the culture outside of the church, they try to stay away from non-Christians, they totally disengage from the culture in which they live, and they try to separate themselves with a lot of rules and a lot of legalism, and it's rules that you cannot find in the Bible, okay, it's rules that they've made up. And Jesus, I want you to know, Jesus prayed against that. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world or to be in the world. Jesus also prayed that his father would protect us from the evil ones. So the other path that many Christians take, that's a wrong path, is just the exact opposite. They will be so compromised by the culture that they won't look any different, they won't act, act any different, they don't think any different than the world. And so the way that they handle money, the way that they view sex, the way that they uh, deal with power is no different than a non-Christian or than the way the world views sex or handles money or deals with power. Their, 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 their lifestyle, the way they do life is completely worldly, it's completely corrupt. You can't tell a difference between your life and the life of a non-Christian. So a lot of rules or no boundaries whatsoever. Jesus prayed against both of those paths. 
Jesus prayed, don't take them out of this world, but protect them from the evil one. I want to deal with one more thing before we get into Paul's answers, okay? If you think that God is all about rules, you're like, man, it's thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. God is all about rules. Let Let me remind all of us that God only had one rule, okay? At the very beginning of time, he only had one rule. He told Adam and Eve, I don't want you to eat from that tree. So God is not all about rules. He's all about relationship. Okay? He's not all about rules. And then lastly, one other clarifying point is I, I want to define freedom. All right, We just celebrated the 4th of July, and I am so thankful for the freedom that we have in this country to, to worship freely. But I want us to have a shared definition of the word freedom when, when we talk about freedom here in church. Here at Grace Church, we talk and we sing a lot about freedom. But I want us to have a shared definition. What is biblical freedom? What does biblical freedom mean? Biblical freedom does not mean that you get to do whatever you want. Biblical freedom is this. Because of Christ, we have freedom from fear. We have freedom from our brokenness. Because of Christ, we have freedom from sin. We have freedom from guilt. We have freedom from shame. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not have the freedom to do whatever the heck we want to do. We don't have that right. When I made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, I became a servant of Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He saved me, but He is also my Lord. I'm his servant. You see, far far too many people, they they want Jesus to to be their savior. Jesus, save me so I can spend eternity in heaven. But they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. I want to believe, but I don't want to follow a bunch of rules. I want to believe, but I want to do whatever I want to do. So we're going to look at four questions today from uh, the chapter that we read there in 1 Corinthians. And and these four questions are going to help to guide us through the complexities of all the gray areas. And let me just tell you, there's a bunch of gray areas, okay? But we're going to have four questions that are going to help guide us through those areas. So whether or not we can participate in different cultural activities, um, many times it can be answered, these questions. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to steer us from what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians, the chapter that we read. So, This first question that is going to help guide us, this helps us even if we're a Christian or not. You don't even have to be a believer in Jesus. You don't have to even believe there's a God for this question to benefit you. But the first question that will help to guide us is, does it violate my conscience? Does it violate my conscience? You're trying to decide whether or not you should do something, whether or not you should participate in a cultural activity. The first question you should ask yourself is, does it violate my conscience? Your conscience is a God-given tool to help guide you. Some of you watching and and listening this morning, you're not Christians, but you're still moral people because you're functioning out of your God-given conscience. You know that universal sins like murder and rape and stealing 
and lying are wrong, not because you believe the Bible, but because you still have a working conscience. You understand those things are wrong. That's a God-given conscience that you have. So if the scripture does not speak to an issue, if there's an issue that we're facing and there's not a book and a chapter and a verse that we can go to, then you have to check your conscience. You have to say, gosh, um, what does my conscience say about this? Did you know that for those of you who are, who are followers of Jesus Christ, you can actually sin against your conscience. This is a, a sin for some people, sometimes, some circumstances, and in some cultures. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. I'm going to give you a practical example from my own life. My mom, who's here this morning, who I love dearly and is an incredibly godly woman, she grew up in a family that had a long history of alcoholism. There was a lot of alcohol abuse in her family. But the drinking stopped with my mom. My mom was not a drunk, and I did not grow up in an alcoholic home. It just wasn't in our home at all. Growing up, I remember hearing how alcohol abuse and some of the stories that my mom had shared, how it destroyed the lives of so many of my mom's family. And so, honestly, this caused me to to kind of be afraid or to steer away from alcohol. I didn't want to be a drunk. I didn't want to follow that same path. And so it stopped with my mom, and I didn't want it to start with me. And so I decided not to drink alcohol. Now, let me ask you, does does the Scriptures forbid alcohol? The answer is no, it doesn't. You have to obey the law, right? You have to wait until you're 21. But no, the Bible does not forbid alcohol. Psalm 104 verse 15 says, God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. Jesus turned water into wine. Paul encouraged Timothy to drink wine for his stomach issues. So the Bible does not forbid the drinking of alcohol. But for me at that time, I stayed away from alcohol. I got married to Tricia at the age of 21, and uh, we didn't even have alcohol at our wedding. I knew the Bible did not forbid alcohol, but I never had the desire to drink, so I didn't drink. It was pretty simple for me. My conscience, okay, my conscience was that way until the age of 27. Age of 27, I was interacting with a longtime friend of mine who was not a Christian, I had been trying to minister to this man, and it seemed like every time I talked about Jesus, anytime uh, anything about Jesus came up, it was like I was hitting a brick wall. I mean, he would not let me in at all when it came to things of God. Trish and I had been praying for the salvation of this man for a long time, and I never made any progress concerning the things of God. And there was a time that we were hanging out with he and his wife, and he offered me a beer. And in that moment, my conscience changed. Scripture did not forbid me to drink. My conscience did not tell me to stop. And so I took him up on the offer to have a beer. Because I felt the Holy Spirit of God within me was saying, Justin, he's testing you. He's testing to see how religious you are. He's testing to see... If, if you're just all about rules, or are you about relationship? So I drank a Budweiser with my buddy. 
and a wall came down in that moment. He no longer viewed me as some stuffy religious pastor that cannot relate with him and he could never talk with. Instead, he viewed me as a friend. I want you to know that the reason I tell you this story is to encourage you not to sin against your conscience. If your conscience is telling you to stay away, you need to stay away. But as you saw in my story, my conscience changed. You see, sometimes your conscience will change. Maybe you grow in your faith to a point where something that used to be a sin against your conscience no longer is. You see, the reality is, is is so many people in in the church world, they they want pastors like myself to make a rule that the consumption of alcohol is a sin. But I cannot do that because the Bible doesn't do that. If your Bible doesn't make a hard-line rule, you shouldn't make a hard-line rule. But listen... If your conscience is telling you to be a vegetarian, then be a vegetarian. But don't expect everyone in your church to be a vegetarian. Right? Often people can try to, they they try to bind other people up with their conscience. Like this is what my conscience is feeling, so I'm going to put my conscience on you. And I'm just encouraging us as a church. I'm encouraging us as a people. Don't do that. It's not right. It's not healthy. The way it works in a lot of churches is people are bound by the pastor's conscience. So the pastor will say, this is wrong, or this is right. And so the pastor's conscience becomes the people's conscience. I want you to please hear me on this. I do not want to bind you with my personal conscience. I want the Holy Spirit of God to use your own God-given conscience and to lead you in the way that is right. Okay? So the first question we should ask ourselves when we're conflicted is, what does my conscience say? The second question is, is a question that applies to followers of Jesus. Okay? This is a question, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus, you have to ask this question. There's, there's a... Um, no way around it. You have to ask this question. And the second question is, what does the Scripture say? The scripture is the Word of God. It gives us instruction on what to do and what not to do. God is the one who makes the rules. Why? Because He's God. Okay? He gets to make the rules. The rules. Scripture tells us what's acceptable. Um, tells us what's acceptable here on earth. And and we believe the scripture applies to all people. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your culture, your, your gender, your age, your preferences, or your experiences. We believe scripture speaks to all people. What this means is rape is always wrong. Murder is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Lying is wrong. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter your gender or the color of your skin. Universal sin applies to everyone. A simple definition of sin is the breaking of God's laws. So if you break God's laws, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what the Scripture teaches. So you need to ask yourself, is this something 
Whatever you're thinking about doing or not doing, you know, you're conflicted. Is this something that violates Scripture? If I do this, am I going against the laws of God? If God says no, then we are to forbid or to follow God's law. If God does not forbid, then we are free to do it. So the first question was, should we do it? Second question, can I biblically do it? Does it violate my conscience? What does the scripture say? The next question that you should ask, number three, is, I think is a great question for you to ask yourself when you're conflicted, is where am I weak? Where am I weak? You need to know your strengths. You need to know your weaknesses. All of us have strengths. All of us have weaknesses. For example, I'll tell you where I'm strong, okay? For me personally, I'm strong in the area of drugs. I personally do not struggle with the temptation to do drugs. Why? Because I grew up in a pastor's home, and I saw my dad dealing with a lot of people who were sticking needles in their arms, people who were popping pills, people who were tripping out on acid, people who were breaking into the church because they were not in their right mind. And as a young person, I was like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to do that. Okay? So I can personally, I can be around a drug addict. I can be around someone who is even doing drugs, and I have zero temptation. I don't struggle with that at all. So for me, it's not an issue. But some of you are recovering drug addicts. And so you, you have to be very careful who you hang around because it's a weakness. You have to be wise about the situations that you put yourself in because it's a temptation, because it's a, a weakness. You're easily tempted. It's an area of struggle for you. doesn't mean I'm better. doesn't mean you're worse. It's just different. I have different weaknesses. You put me in a room full of donuts, I am going to struggle, Okay? Listen, we all have to make those kind of decisions on a daily basis. Like, oh, I cannot go to that place. No, I can't hang out with those people. No, I can't watch that. Where am I weak? Where am I strong? You need to know your weaknesses. Where you're weak, you need to restrict your freedom. Otherwise, it leads you to sin. You know, the funny thing is, is... uh, I think in the church world, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches are known for their legalism or for their rules. But a lot of times Christians, especially legalistic Christians, will set up all kinds of rules around their strengths. So you'll hear them rant all day against the the consumption of alcohol or you'll hear them rant about what they're strong on. All the while, they're extremely obese or they're very judgmental or they're involved in some dark secret sin that they're trying to keep hidden from everyone. So what I'm encouraging us to do is we need to stop pretending and we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with God about what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. I just want to encourage all of us. I want us to be a church. We need to quit pretending we don't have any areas of weakness. And this leads us to the fourth question. Number four, you should ask the question, if you're conflicted about something in the culture or a decision that you're going to make, you should ask yourself, 
how does this affect friends? How is this going to affect the people around me? See, I, I think some of us are so focused on our rights, so focused on our liberties, it becomes all-consuming, it becomes all that we think about, but we get to this place where we don't ask the question, how does this affect my friends? We don't think about other people. Because all we can think about is my rights, what I get to do. You may say, I'm free to do this, I'm free to do that. Yeah, you are, but what about your friend? Paul says, you know what's more important than your rights? Your friends. Your friends are more important. If you know your friend is a recovering alcoholic and he's coming over for dinner, don't serve any drinks. Think about your friend. Don't choose beer over your friend. You know, the last thing you want to do is shove people away because you chose your freedom over relationship, over friendship. So yeah, the Bible may give you freedom. Your conscience may give you freedom. Your strength may even give you freedom. But a friend who is struggling may cause you to intentionally put aside your freedom because you're concerned about them about what are the two greatest commands that jesus said love god love people love god love people christians this is where we get our diversity we're unified around the teachings of scripture but we're diverse around freedom matters matters of conscience because your conscience is going to be different than mine when it comes to the non-essentials So when you're with a friend who disagrees with you in conscience, here's what you should do. You should accommodate them. Care for them. Honestly, my concern is that many of us take our our liberty too far. You say, I'm free in Christ. You can't take my freedom, Dustin. You can't take my freedom, God. You can't take my freedom, church. Just so you know, we're, we're not trying to take your freedom. I'm actually asking you to give it away. Paul's saying there's a point where your freedom actually becomes responsibility. Willing to lay your freedom aside for your friends. You know, we could talk about so many different issues and questions, but let me summarize by saying this. We're not interested in making rules where God doesn't make them. I don't want to impose my will or restrict your freedom where God doesn't choose to do that. I'm not interested in being your conscience or trying to be the Holy Spirit for you. That's not my job. But we will teach you to look to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit of God, your conscience, and your love for your friends to guide you through the non-essentials, the gray areas. Some, some people may say, man, that's just really, really messy. You know what's more messy? Legalistic homes, legalistic churches, where brokenness is never dealt with because everyone's hiding it. They're trying to look the part. You know, They're trying to have it all together. Now that's messy. I would rather take the other messy than that. Listen, we, we want to point you to Jesus. Jesus came into the world and he lived in a worldly culture without sinning. He led by example. We should always look to him for our example. Jesus, he broke a lot of cultural rules. He was friends with women. When women 
their status was maybe just a little bit above cattle. Jesus uh, built relationship, and he was friends with women. He taught women. He actually sent women out to proclaim the gospel. He hung out with men who were, three, who were thieves and alcoholics. He spent time with addicts and gluttons and people who were hated and despised by society. He crossed racial and ethnic barriers. Jesus spent a lot of time with broken people, but he never joined them in their brokenness. He was in the world, not of the world. Jesus loved broken people to repentance. And in Romans it says, it's the kindness of God that leads men and women and children to repentance. I love that. It's the kindness of God. Jesus went deep into the culture, but he never violated Scripture. He came to fulfill Scripture, not to disobey it. For you and I, to make a difference in our world, in our culture, we have to follow the model of Jesus. We have to go deep into our culture. We've got to obey the Scriptures, but we can't get bound up by all the man-made rules and all the stuffy religious people who are just playing games with God. You can't get bound up by that. God is not about rules. He's about relationship. So the four questions, once again, to help you navigate the minefields of all the choices we make on a daily basis is, number one, does it violate my conscience? Number two, what does the Scripture say? Number three, where am I weak? Then number four, how is this going to my friends. 